1: Today's show is brought to you by Strike Club, a brand new line of acne fighting skincare products for guys. The best part, these products are simple and safe. They only contain clean ingredients and are non-toxic and paraben free. Strike Club products are never tested on animals either, making it a great fit for your ecologically conscious young man. Try Strike Club today use onboys as a discount code to save 10%. Go to strikeclub.com. That's s t r y k e club.com. Use the discount code onboys and save 10%. Somewhere between 3 to 10% of American children have ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And if you have a boy in your life, odds are good that you know at least one person with ADHD. Maybe that person is your son. Maybe somebody has said, oh, you should get him tested. There are so many misconceptions, misunderstandings, and questions around ADHD that today we brought on a true expert to help us understand. With us today is Ryan Wexelblatt, otherwise known as the ADHD Dude. Welcome, Ryan.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to be back with you guys.
1: Three to 10%. Is that accurate statistics? As far as you know, that's the best I could find.
2: My answer is it's hard to say, because ADHD is often misdiagnosed, but can also be underdiagnosed as well. So let's start with the basics, ADD,
3: ADHD, explain what exactly we are talking about when we use those letters.
2: What used to be called ADD, which is a term that's no longer used, was used to describe a more inattentive profile of ADHD. So somebody who did not present with hyperactivity or impulsivity. So we moved away from that to just using ADHD and talking about three different subtypes. So an inattentive subtype, a combined subtype, which means you know hyper and also you know, um, has difficulty sustaining attention, and then just a you know hyper impulsive type. Now, I have never met a kid in my life who just is able to sustain attention but is hyper. And just one thing <laughs> I you know I want to point out to people that in Europe, they do not consider three different types of ADHD. They consider it what there's one ADHD, and it's really just where where you're Profile falls on this continuum. And I think we'll move to that eventually as well. Um, The other thing I just want to mention about this real quick, I think is important for people to know. I've been hearing a lot of uh, people will say to me, oh, my son has, you know, ADHD and executive function disorder. And what I explain to people is that if you have ADHD, you have an executive function developmental delay right? ADHD and executive function difficulties are not two separate things. And in fact, there's a you know belief that eventually ADHD will be called executive function developmental delay because that's really more of an accurate term for it than ADHD.
1: Let's break that down a little bit because if a parent has not been immersed in this world, they might not know the term executive function. Explain what ex- and how it impacts our functioning, all of us. This isn't just our kids.
2: Right. So executive functioning is an umbrella term to describe the processes that the prefrontal cortex, or what people often call the frontal lobe, uh, part of the brain controls. So I explain it to kids as being the operating system of your brain. So when somebody has ADHD, what it means is that the frontal lobe is developing 30% behind the rest of the brain. So essentially, you know, let's say for a 12 year old, their brain development and physical development and everything else might be, you know, at age 12, but just their frontal lobe development is still at about age nine, okay? Uh So what the things that executive functioning controls that are most noticeable for kids with ADHD are a few things. So one, being able to conceptualize time as a concrete concept. A lot of times people will use the term time blindness, which is I think a a good term to kind of describe what it means when somebody has difficulty feeling time. Another thing that it makes difficult is uh, using what's called nonverbal working memory, or basically the way we uh, picture ourselves doing things in the future. And planning, you know, ahead to get to that, whatever that task is. The main thing and what I explain to kids is that it makes self-directed talk difficult. So we all have this internal voice in our head that we use to talk to ourselves. And if you have delayed executive function in the case with ADHD, that internal voice is not always working for you. So what I actually explain to kids is I call it your brain coach because I think, you know, self-directed talk is a little bit of an abstract concept. So what I teach kids is I say the volume on your brain coach is turned down a little too low, okay? It's turned up for things that you want to do, but for things that are not interesting, it's turned down for, you know, and that's, think about this with ADHD, that if you have difficulty sustaining attention to non-preferred tasks, the reason why is because, you know, you're not having an internal discussion with yourself to say, hey, you know what, this is really boring, but I can get through it and I've gotten through things like this before,
1: That's a really helpful explanation for me. And I think it helps a lot of parents understand. And probably a lot of parents are thinking, you know, I struggle with some of those things at times. Mm -hmm. So there's two threads there. ADHD is commonly inherited. And it's actually not unusual for parents sometimes through the course of diagnosis to realize, hey, wait, this is what I've been dealing with my whole life
2: hmm I'll tell you something really interesting. I find that when I meet fathers, what they will tell me sometimes is they'll say things like, I was just like him when I was his age, or I'm sure I have ADHD and it was never diagnosed. What I find with moms, which is interesting, is that they tend to be diagnosed as adults. And that completely makes sense to me because really what we see with girls and women is that an inattentive profile tends to be more common. So what I always explain to parents is, you know, if you go through school not making waves, you know, you're just kind of inattentive, it's easy to get kind of passed over. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because you're not drawing attention to yourself. Whereas if you're hyper and impulsive or have difficulty with em- emotional regulation, you're going to call attention to yourself.
1: That's yeah. the kind of thing that annoys other kids, it annoys exactly. teachers, it's it's impossible to miss. Right. That said though, how do we differentiate between ADHD behaviors and typical development typical boy behavior i know this is a huge question for a lot of parents where is that line
3: yeah and also with that line the typical boy behavior when we are putting boys into school
2: too early right so that's, that's a loaded question, that one, about putting boys in school too early. So let, let me say this, you know, I, I like to uh, preface this by saying, you know, school is not designed with the male brain in mind, okay? The, the act of sitting, you know, at a desk for hours at a day with limited movement is not really conducive to the way many boys' brains work. I think the other thing that, that we have to parse out is that with ADHD, there's these certain aspects that your brain makes more difficult to understand, and I always, I always say that ADHD for me is first and foremost a learning issue. It's not a mental health issue, and I, and I actually think that's where the mental health field has really done a disservice to kids with ADHD because they, you know, there's still this perspective of that we're going to treat this as a mental health disorder. So, you know, with that, you know, there's a few areas that I would say. So one is difficulty, um, you know, like I mentioned, sustaining attention to non-preferred tasks um and having the resiliency to persevere through non-preferred tasks.
1: I want to stop at that one for just a minute because one thing that I learned and I through reading so I want to see if it holds true in your practice is that a lot of times kids and adults with ADHD can focus for a really long time on a preferred task. So right. you might say, well how could my kid possibly have ADHD? Look, he's doing X for,
2: you know, 2 hours at a time. Right. Well, that's the whole key is that you can focus on things that are interesting to you for very long periods of time. It's the things that you find difficult to get through or boring that it's difficulty sustaining attention to. Okay. okay. Both because you, you tend to believe that these things are going to take much longer than they actually will to complete. But the other piece of it is because it's, it becomes difficult to picture what you're going to feel like when the task is done. For an example, lots of parents say to me, you know, my son will argue about taking out the trash for an hour, right? And he doesn't realize it could have been done in five minutes. He spent more time arguing about it, right? He's not realizing, okay, if I get this done, I'll feel good, then it'll be, you know, off my back. So, you know, the one thing is, is that it's, it's a difficulty beyond what we would typically see with persevering through non preferred tasks. Um, Which can also look like in school of just kind of sitting there, you know, when you have work to do and just not doing anything. And I think sometimes that's misinterpreted as being oppositional, but it's not oppositional at all. It's just this lack of resiliency to persevere through it. The other big area I would say is with emotional regulation. So being able to put problem size in a relevant context, you know, responding appropriately for the size of the, the problem and also having, you know, an emotional response that's warranted. And the third area for many but not all individuals with ADHD, um, and this is really more particular to, I'd say, individuals with more the hyperpulsive profile, is what I call social learning challenges or what's considered, you know, difficulty with social skills, which people often refer to as difficulty reading social cues.
1: So kids that have ADHD may have trouble interacting appropriately with their peers, may get on their peers' nerves sometimes, and may want to have a peer group, but not really know how to go about that.
2: I show parents a graphic of where kids are at developmentally. And I break it down into social maturity, emotional maturity, executive functioning age, physical maturity. So let's say, you know, you have a 12-year-old. Well, in terms of his physical development, he might be right on target at 12, okay? But in terms of his executive functioning development and his social and emotional maturity, he may be more at nine, okay? So what happens then is, right, we, we tend to judge, our society judges, people by their appearance, right? So we kind of have expectations of kids based on their chronological age or what they look like physically without taking these other pieces into account So that being said, with the social piece, um, I want people to understand that, you know, when people talk about social cues, what I think they're typically talking about is what we would consider nonverbal social communication. But when you struggle socially because of ADHD, it goes much deeper than not picking up nonverbal communication. And really the foundation of this is perspective taking skills. So, you know, understanding others' thoughts and feelings, but also understanding how you come across to others. And, and really, this is what I call, um, you know, social executive functioning. So, mm. you know, as we're talking right now, you know, I want you to have good thoughts about me. So I'm not going to, you know, start eating lunch in the middle of, of our talk, right? Because you're going to have weird thoughts about me. So <laughs> in my mind, right, I'm having this internal dialogue saying, okay, what do I need to say or what do I need to do? So these ladies continue to have good thoughts about me. Well, if you have ADHD, you're not necessarily having that internal discussion in your head to the extent that, that you need to. Because you're hungry and you want to eat and that's it. Because you're not thinking about others' thoughts, right? Because you're you're, right. That self-directed talk isn't happening in the context of social situations Mm -hmm. always.
3: I want to pause for a second because as you were talking about this 12-year-old being developmentally like a nine-year-old, I also want to ask you about a question that often comes up is a young child maybe looking at whether they're ready to go to first grade or should he move up to kindergarten. And this is a child who's very intellectually Mm -hmm. advanced and doesn't have the emotional, social skills yet. And many parents think, oh, well, he's going to be bored. So I want him to move up to first grade or whatever grade it is. And the rest will catch up. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. So interestingly, last year, I worked part-time at a school that just happened to be, the way the district was broken up, it was just kindergarten and first grade in the school I was in. So this came up all the time with the parents of the kindergartners. What my understanding is, and this is not something I've researched a lot, is that there's really not good evidence that shows that um, holding kids back is beneficial in terms of, of development and learning. What I tell parents is, you know, I think you need to kind of look at their age and where they fall on the calendar as compared to their peers in their grade as really kind of more of a determining factor of where they're at developmentally. So for instance, you know, I, I see a boy who's 14. He's in eighth grade now. He's really supposed to be in ninth grade. And I think it was really smart of his parents to, to hold him back when, when they did because his birthday is in August and for him to be in ninth grade right now, he would be struggling even more socially than, than he already is, Mm -hmm. you know? So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for it. I think it's more, we have to look at these developmental levels of social and emotional maturity. But if a, if a kid is, you know, advanced academically, yes, my concern would be how is that going to affect them if they're bored with the curriculum?
1: There's so many things to consider, and I think that we're increasingly recognizing that. Like, it's not just can the kid handle the content academically, but there is also is the kid emotionally ready for this? Is the kid able to interact socially at that level? There may not be the correct and they go up a grade or they don't answer, but they may need additional support. So, if you decide that you don't move the kid into first grade, okay. That gives them a little extra time to develop emotionally and socially. Then you can be doing other things on the side to help support that intellectual development. Or it can go the other direction where you advance and you handle the intellectual challenges in school, but that kid will likely need extra support for emotional and social development.
2: Right. One of the things I do want to mention is, you know, when people ask me, you know, if they have a third grader or fourth grader, they, and they say, well, he's so immature. I'm thinking about holding him back. I always say to them, please don't, okay? Because in those situations, at that point, um, it's really not going to be helpful. I think, you know, if if anything, I think it'll cause them to feel somewhat socially ostracized um, because they've been with the same peer group for several years at that point.
3: We're going to pause for just a moment for this message from our sponsor. And when we come back, we are going to talk about how ADHD is misdiagnosed and how you can talk to your kids about ADHD.
1: I want to take a minute to tell you about Strike Club anti-acne products. Unlike a lot of products that you find at big box or drugstores, Strike Club products are non-toxic and never tested on animals. Made with clean ingredients, Strike Club's face and body wash are safe for your son. Use Envoy's discount code to save 10% when you order online. Go to strikeclub, S-T-R-Y-K-E, club.com and use the discount code Envoy's.
3: And I do have to add in here, Jen, your sons really like this product too.
1: I checked the bottle in the shower today and it's almost empty again. ADHD can take a toll and affect kids' self-image. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, how ADHD affects the stories really that kids tell themselves about themselves.
2: So to start off with this, you know, one of the things I I always say is that when somebody is diagnosed, you know, with Asperger's or what used to be called Asperger's or like higher verbal autism, you know, people will always, educators and whomever, will always tend to be understanding and empathetic with them because they see them as, as having, you know, a neurodevelopmental difference. Okay. Whereas when you have ADHD and it's not easily visible to other people, you are often going to be judged and parents are going to be judged as, you know, the kids are going to be judged as having a character flaw, you know, or a behavior problem. And parents, you know, are judged as being too lenient, you know, or, or whatever the judgment may be. So I think, you know, that's just something parents need to be cognizant of is that our our society doesn't really understand ADHD and, and teachers, you know, no fault of their own really get no education for the most part. And this, by the way, this includes counselors and mental health professionals really get no education or training in ADHD. Okay.
3: Take us through the steps. So I've got a kindergartner and the teacher is, you know, has sent him to the office multiple times is, you know, we're at our conference and she's, brings up the word, the term ADHD, and oh, you should have him tested. What is the experience that I'm going to have from that moment through to yes or no, he has it or he doesn't? How is it determined that he actually has it?
2: Okay, so in terms of the diagnostic piece, there's a few different ways to get an ADHD diagnosis. Some people just go through their pediatrician and their pediatrician will provide them with, with what's called the Connors Rating Scales, um, one is for parents, the other one is for uh, teachers, um, and sometimes pediatricians will make a diagnosis that way. A diagnosis can be made by a psychologist and in some states by a licensed mental health professional, such as myself as like a licensed clinical social worker. It can also be made by a neurologist or a neuropsychologist. So there's different pathways to get a diagnosis. The biggest variable we need to look at it is, are there potential learning issues that are part of this? Do we need to look at the sensory piece of this? So is an OT and occupational therapy evaluation warranted? Are there speech and language issues? So is a speech and language evaluation also warranted? So I like to see people, you know, take really a holistic approach to this rather than just kind of going to their doctor and saying, you know, oh, here's what the teacher said. The doctor gives them some scales. They come back and they start medication. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think there's such a bigger picture here that we really need to look at all the, the, the pieces here.
1: It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and BiHeart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula, and proved that babies on BiHeart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. BiHeart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider BiHeart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order. BuyHeart.com slash podcast. This is a limited-time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D three with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash That's try try dot easymelts, easy forward slash on boys there is a um, concern among parents and others as well that in some cases ADHD may be overdiagnosed that if there is an active wiggly boy there's this tendency to say you have ADHD and put him on meds so some people are very hesitant and reluctant to even consider ADHD to quote, slap a label on their kid mm-hmm. to go through that diagnostic process. So what would you tell parents who maybe they're at that parent-teacher conference? Somebody suggested, you know, maybe ADHD. And the parent's like, yeah, I'm not sure
2: about this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I respect that everybody has their own process and has to go through, you know, whatever they need to go through with this. But what I want parents to understand is that, you know, we're talking about how your son's learning may be impacted by this, you know, and his social relationships in school may be impacted by this. So what I would say is that if somebody says, I think this is worth looking at, and a professional says that, I, I would take that seriously, Okay. Now, that being said, you know, here's some things that can look like ADHD that often get misdiagnosed. So if kids have any history of trauma, okay, that very much can look like ADHD. You know, what what's now called, you know, adverse childhood experiences – So, like a parent with substance abuse issues, that can very much look like ADHD. You know, kids who might have been adopted later in life, like my son, often present with ADHD like symptoms. Even kids with, with learning differences or who might have expressive language difficulties might be, you know, acting up a bit in class because they have difficulty expressing themselves. So, what I would say is, you know, to parents is yeah, take it seriously. And if you want to go the route of having your son evaluated in school, I think that's a good route to go because schools can also provide an OT evaluation and a speech language evaluation. I do want people to understand though, that if your child qualifies for, you know, what's called an IEP an individual education plan that does not provide a diagnosis. What that provides is an educational classification. Okay. Because I find a lot of times that moms think that, okay, well, school said, you know, he qualifies for an IEP. So he has ADHD. It doesn't, it means you qualify for an IEP.
3: Yeah. yeah, and the IEP is the individual plan for your child. So, how right. are you going to address his executive functioning and things like that? So, Ryan,
1: you mentioned the importance of kind of looking at this holistically. And I want to add on to that because in my research, one of the things I've also found is that often ADHD coexists with other conditions. So, many kids who do have ADHD also have anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, depression are on the autism spectrum, and there's similar symptoms, there's different symptoms. So you really do need to work with trained professionals who can help you untangle what's going on. Because let's say your kid has coexisting conditions, well, treating ADHD may be great, but you may still have other issues. Or as you said, sometimes kids are misdiagnosed with ADHD, and really it's something else that was going on all along. So you really want to look for qualified professionals who are willing to look at this from a broad perspective.
2: To add on to that, I want to mention to parents is, you know, having one diagnosis does not necessarily mean it's correct. I cannot tell you how many kids I've seen, particularly in the area where I live now, of kids with ADHD who are misdiagnosed with autism. Um, and on the other hand, too, we see a lot of kids who, who may fit more of the profile of, you know, autism or Asperger's who get diagnosed with ADHD. So the amount of misdiagnosis I find is is astonishing. And, you know, I'll tell you, I, I think I was a little naive to this because, you know, when I, where I'm from in Philadelphia, there's a lot of good, um, you know, there's a lot of good clinicians. I and mean, once in a while, I would see a kid who was misdiagnosed and I would think, wow, this is, you know, a big deal. How can this be missed? And when I moved to Southern New Jersey, I was astonished at the amount of kids I see here who are misdiagnosed. Um, and I thought to myself, if this is happening this much here, this must be happening all over the country. Really. Yeah. yeah, so
3: getting educated about it. I want to ask you, because I know you work a lot directly with the boys. We've had you on talking about social skills development with middle schoolers. And you know, as a young boy, kindergarten, first grade, being taken into the OT, being taken in for this test or that test, and starting to hear ADHD and hearing all that adult language around you as this young child, how do parents help boys digest this information and and begin to understand ADHD for themselves like how is this going to play out for you and and to make it not seem like there's something wrong with you and this is a big deal how do we normalize it
2: yeah I'm really glad you brought that up because you know one of the things I find is you know 9.5 times out of 10 um, I find that nobody has ever explained ADHD to kids in a way that's relevant to them So that's one of the first things when I meet with kids, I always ask, I say, so what does ADHD mean? Or what does it mean to you? Um, And they usually just answer, I don't know, or I can't focus. So the, the first thing I do is give them a really comprehensive understanding of that. You know, the other thing I'll, I'll tell you is because I find that so few kids get a good explanation, um, I've actually made videos about that um, that are on my, my the ADHD Dude YouTube channel where I'm speaking directly to kids explaining ADHD because I want to explain it in a way that's relevant to them and relatable. And I want them to understand that there is nothing wrong with you. You know, you don't have any you know, mental problem, right? This is just a description of how your brain works. And what it means is that your brain makes some things to learn and some things harder to learn just like anybody else
1: let's talk about treatment Mm -hmm. i know that there's medication for adhd there are behavioral management strategies for children for parents to use with children teachers parents have a hard time figuring out what to do treatment wise too some are very hesitant to start medication some think medication should fix you know everything why is the kid still struggling what do parents need to know to begin approaching this? Uh, how do we treat this question?
2: Yeah. So the first thing is, I think that um, you know what many many years of research has shown is that medication tends to be you know the frontline treatment for for addressing you know ADHD related challenges and continues to be. And there's you know things that you know obviously we need to do beyond that. I find that you know for kids with a very mild inattentive profile they may be okay just with with medication. And I'm talking about just the mildest profiles, but everybody else needs some, you know, type of intervention. And that's where things really become complicated because, you know, of, of how few people, you know, can really ha- I think have the skill set to address ADHD um, in a way that's that's helpful to families. So that being said, I do want to mention a few things that I think parents should look into. Um, particularly those with younger kids. There's um, a program called PCIT, Parent-Child Interaction Therapy, that is really helpful and has has good evidence behind it. And any family I've talked to who has gone through the program has found it really helpful. There's another one called PMT, Parent Management Training, um, that I think is really helpful also for parents of younger kids. You know, and I would say the only limitations of, of those, you know, those two programs is they don't really, you know, address, you know, lagging social or executive function skills. But what they do provide is, is a great scaffolding for parents to understand how to deal with behavioral issues.
1: One of the questions that I have, let's say that one of the parents also has ADHD. How does that sort of complicate the situation, right? So I know that it's very important to have consistency at home to set up these guidelines. This is a lot of what these programs can teach you. If you as a parent also have ADHD, this doesn't necessarily come naturally to you either.
2: What I would say is that, you know, you need to take care of yourself first, of course, right? Because you, you know, if you're not kind of giving yourself what you need or or getting what you need, um, then that's gonna affect your ability to be your best with, with your kids. And I want to say that I think that's particularly relevant for fathers, particularly those who who might have a short temper or who might have their own challenges with emotional regulation. Because one of the things I can tell you I find is that a lot of times with the guys I work with, if their fathers, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, you know, probably have a similar neurological profile, um, that can be problematic to their relationship. A mm-hmm, lot, mm-hmm. yeah you know, so I would say, yeah, so that you need to kind of take care of yourself first. And there's there's a lot of great resources for parents out there, um, books and, you know, different websites and so on. So yeah, there's, I, I, I would even argue there's better resources for adults with ADHD than there are for kids out there. Oh, ah,
1: interesting. Yeah. Interesting. If you send us a list of some books and resources that you mm-hmm. recommend, I will include them in the show notes. Absolutely. And then, you know, Anybody who's listening, you want to start your research and your reading and dig in deeper, these are expert vetted resources.
3: And Ryan, I love what you're doing as far as communicating about this with the kids and talking with the kids and understanding what their experience is. And then you can help interpret that for the parents.
2: Right. You know, one of the things that I think I want to mention about that is, you know, I do, I do a, uh, you know, videos weekly for Attitude Magazine, which is an ADHD magazine. And what's interesting I've I found is that a lot of their, um, their, in their, you know, their Facebook page are individuals who self-identify as having ADHD. Um, and one of the things, you know, I, I find and I want parents to understand is that when you go through life feeling misunderstood or feeling judged or feeling blamed for things out of your control, that's going to affect you significantly as as an adult. I really see that when I read through, you know, some of the comments on the the attitude Facebook page of just, you know, these these adults who have gone through this lifetime of just constantly feeling judged and their self-concept is, you know, is is really kind of been damaged by the way that they've, you know, been treated or perceived by, you know, educators, by their families and and so on. So yeah, I think I think the more we can help frame this for kids is understanding, you know, it's, it's going to get better with age, but there's always things you're going to have to work hard on, okay? And most importantly, there's nothing wrong with you, you know? And I think the more we can kind of get that into kids early on and be consistent with that message, the more it's going to help their self-concept.
1: I think your videos, your ADHD videos talking directly to kids are so helpful for kids and for parents because often as adults, we think that kids are just going to learn this stuff. You know, they're going to learn how to interact with their peers. They're going to learn how to get stuff done. And my opinion is that even if your child doesn't necessarily have ADHD, he may find value from these videos because when you're talking about your brain coach and you're talking about how to consider others' perceptions when you're in conversation, I think this is stuff that does not come naturally for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so thank you. I appreciate that. I think, you know, so much of this is so abstract, right? So my thing is really I want to make this as concrete and simple as possible for kids and do it in a really short time frame, you know, because look, my my audience does not have a lot long- of <laughs> again, right? So I try to, if if my videos are two minutes long, that's pushing it. That's bordering on too long for my crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Way (laughs) to
3: understand your audience, Ryan. That's awesome. (laughs) This has been so valuable. Jen and I have talked a lot about how important it is to get this foundational information out to our listeners. And I hope that it inspires our listeners to take that extra step do that extra research and have those conversations with their children. So where can people find you other than South New Jersey?
2: Yeah, so I have a, uh, a wonderful Facebook group that's a wonderful community of parents called ADHD Dude. And so if they just go to the group there, and then I have a uh, YouTube channel called ADHD Dude, where I have videos uh, categorized into playlists. Mm-hmm. And I also, the videos for kids are under a playlist uh, called Dude Talk. And I'm in the process of breaking them up into elementary school, middle school, and high school. So I can speak more directly to those different age groups as well. What a great resource. Thank you. Yeah.
1: If you could get one message across to the world about kids with ADHD, what would that
2: be, Ryan? So really, I think where where I'm at right now is the biggest thing I want to tell parents is don't be afraid of, you know, exploring medication, because I find that in today's age of social media, so many parents get misinformation and opinions presented as facts about medication that just aren't accurate. And they get scared away from something that can make a tremendous improvement, not only in their child's life, but in their family life as well. And like anything else, you know, I say do your research, but do your research on medical websites, not from getting, you know, opinions from your sister-in-law or your, you know, your mother-in-law, or, right? Because random person you don't know on Twitter. Right, right. I mean, I'll tell you, I I'm I'm not in any AD you know, ADHD Facebook groups because it it kills me to see the amount of misinformation spread about medications. And I just, you know, want parents to understand that Um, you know, again, when, you know, if you want to go the route of, of no medication, when medication is warranted or recommended by a licensed medical professional, you might be interfering with your child's capacity to learn, you know, and develop social relationships to the best of their abilities.
3: Yeah. It's a big, big question, but you've given us insight today. That's really valuable. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for joining On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men.